0: Coastal Podcast, the Students and New Professionals chapter podcast of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, hosted by the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I'm one of your co-hosts, John Miller.
1: And I'm your other co-host, Heather Wade.
0: The episode today that we're going to be uh, broadcasting is part of our professional development series, uh, where we're going to talk about transitioning from academia into the real world. Uh, For today's episode, we're going to be talking with two young professionals who have recently made that transition and find out some advice that they might have for everyone out there. Uh, Today we have Dr. Amanda Treitinger, uh, Research Hydraulic Engineer at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Engineering Research and Development Center, uh, where she also serves as the Assistant Program Manager for the Engineering with Nature program and Dr. Laura Virgarame, uh, Catastrophe Risk and Research Analyst at Guy Carpenter. Welcome to the program.
2: Hey, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you.
0: So I guess, you know, the, the, the first place that we, we typically start off with our guests is to find out a little bit more about their background. So sort of a very open-ended uh, intro. Um, so I guess we'll start with uh, uh, Amanda, why don't we start with you? Um, just maybe give us a little hint of your, your background um, and how you came to be um, at Earth?
2: Yeah, okay, that's a fun question. I started at the University of Central Florida in environmental engineering because uh, as everyone does, I wanted to save the world and I liked math. So it seemed like a good place to start. Uh, I stumbled upon a graduate laboratory where they were doing uh, studies on numerical modeling of storm attenuation and wave attenuation uh, with like tropical storm events and predictions of what the storm hazard would be and the risk involved and I I'd never heard of anything like that so I dove in deep and was lucky enough to find a master's program at the University of North Florida where they were doing civil engineering with a focus in numerical modeling but I I wanted to bring my environmental side with me so i used those uh numerical models to estimate circulation in marshes and use that those those water levels to figure out what the biomass accumulation would be Um, and then i realized my favorite part of that was the coast and being at the beach so i followed that interest to the university of florida where I got my PhD in oceanographic engineering. And the whole time, I just was sort of saying yes to every opportunity. I worked um, for a dredging company, and I worked uh, in Maryland for building some stormwater management systems. And then somehow at some conference or another, I stumbled uh, into the world of URDIC and was offered some cool opportunities to do summer research there. And I just got carried away, and now I'm, I'm working full-time there, and it's a, a cool opportunity. So just say yes to stuff.
0: Very cool. I didn't realize that we would be talking to a, a fellow gator, so go Gators.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm a knight at heart, so uh, don't push it.
0: Disappointing, disappointing. All right. Um, You're telling me. <laughs> um, so Laura, why don't we learn a little bit about your background?
3: Yeah, so um, I guess similar to Amanda, I um, I started at Stevens Institute of Technology um, as a civil engineering major because I liked math. Um, I also liked art, and I guess I thought maybe that civil engineering would be a little bit of similar to architecture. It was not, um, but the summer after my freshman year, I looked for a research opportunity, and it was the only thing in the civil engineering department was related to coastal engineering, um, actually with the lab that um, Sean leads. So I took that opportunity and I worked there the rest of the time I was at Stevens. Um, I really fell in love with coastal engineering. It was not something that I had ever knew existed before, um, but was really cool. After graduating, I worked at an engineering um, consulting company in New York City. Uh, At the time, it was called CH2M Hill. Um, Now you know it as Jacobs. Um, but worked there for two years, working on a lot of really cool projects, but really missed the the research aspect. Um, So ended up back at Stevens um, for a PhD where I worked under um, John and just graduated. I was really interested in this idea of how vulnerable are our coasts. Um, My work was related to dune vulnerability, how often dunes are likely to erode during storms. Um, And kind of keeping that in mind, I ended up uh, taking an opportunity with Guy Carpenter. But essentially, I work with a group that designs parametric insurance solutions, um, essentially payouts based on how much damage we think is going to happen during the event.
1: Well, I I had a follow up question for Amanda. it it sounded like you did a lot during your academic journey. You know, you mentioned just trying to get your hands on as much as you could. Were these experiences while you were in school voluntary? Um, were they internships, or or were you working full time during your 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 uh, academic journey?
2: Yeah, that's um, a good question. They were. So each one was kind of different. Um, During my undergrad, I love that Laura said she loves art. I think that's super cool for engineers to have that interest because that is just a part of our brains that increases, you know, innovation. Um, So actually, during my undergrad, I was teaching marching band. Um, And then when I stumbled into the graduate research lab, I had to give part of that up but I still you know did it Friday night football games and did the the lab as a part-time gig and then during my master's I worked for Manson Construction that that was the dredging company that I I worked for and they were really flexible um again it was part-time uh I of course was super busy with my master's and it was just huge to have an understanding that they they wanted me to get my thesis done. So I kind of had very flexible hours, but then got opportunities to work on a dredge over Thanksgiving break or, um, you know, whenever there's a stretch, a, a break during your the academia year. Um, and then during my uh, during the summers, that's when I my family lives up in Maryland. And I, I volunteered at first to be a part of a, a local organization that was trying to clean the wa- the local watershed. And that took me to town halls where I met a group that was doing the stormwater management systems. And I just, one thing led to another. And then I did have summer, a summer job up there. Um, so I did, I didn't do my master's over the summer. I took my breaks up there and um, same thing goes for during my, my PhD. I, I, during my summers worked at Urtic and that was full-time during the summer, um, part-time over breaks again. Um, and just everybody I worked with was really flexible. And I think that just, you know, you don't, you don't want to let anyone down, but telling potential employers right away that you're busy and your time needs to be flexible. They're, they're usually pretty open to it. So, Nothing was full-time, everything was part-time, um, but everybody was flexible and that was great.
0: That's really interesting. I know, uh, Lori, you didn't get into some of your experiences. I know you said you worked at CH2M um, prior to coming back to your PhD, but I know you also did a good amount of work as an undergrad. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about how some of those experiences may have kind of shaped your, uh, I guess, viewpoint and where you, where you ultimately ended up?
3: Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, yeah, so during the, I guess, ever since that freshman year um, after in the summer, both the entirety of my sophomore year, junior year, and then finally senior year, I worked part-time at the Coastal Engineering Lab. And it really solidified how much I wanted to be involved in coastal engineering. It wasn't just a one-off I did this over the summer. Um, I really got to understand what the different opportunities in coastal engineering um, were. The lab included master's students, PhD students, uh, research engineers, professors, and they were all really good resources to really understand all the different opportunities in the field. Um, you definitely learn a lot just by keeping your ears open, um, and hearing about different projects and what different people are planning on doing after graduation. So when I guess I became old enough in school where you started to take technical electives, um, I really started taking a lot of those coastal engineering courses. And then ultimately when I graduated, I tried to find, uh, you know, coastal engineering, uh, firm that I could go to. And CH had a uh, relatively small um, group, I think it was seven people across North America um, at the time. But when I applied there, that was really the position I was really, really hoping for because I wanted to continue doing coastal engineering work.
0: Very cool. Um, so I guess a question that I, I want to ask both of you a little bit is, you know, as a professor in coastal engineering and somebody who really loves what I do, Um, I struggle sometimes. I feel like we have a, almost a public relations problem with coastal engineering and the coastal profession. I think everybody that I know that's into it really loves what they do, but I also feel like it's not necessarily a known commodity among undergraduate students in particular, um, and even to some extent graduate students. So I I guess the question is, um, you know, what's the, you know, what can we be doing better, um, to maybe... Advertise and let people know about this really cool, awesome career that we, we all of us seem to love.
2: That's a pretty big question, um, and of course, I feel like my story. You know, I pointed out that I had no idea what coastal engineering was. It took me kind of three chances to get there. Um, I would have, if I would have loved for somebody to tell me in high school that coastal engineering was a thing that I could work towards on purpose. And not just, you know, risk, <laughs> risk walking into the right laboratory during my undergrad. Um, so maybe, maybe we as coastal engineers reach out to local high schools and talk to physics teachers. Or, um, I don't know, maybe we, we get ourselves to the students before they make big life decisions at the age of 18 with all, without all the information. Uh, maybe that would be helpful you took the words out of my mouth
3: um, because I was similar. I had no idea Coastal Engineering was this thing. Even my freshman year of college, I didn't know it was a thing. It was completely happenstance that I ended up at the lab during the summer because there were no civil engineering research opportunities. Um, so even just getting to students in their freshman year, um, I think, could really help. I mean, the, the field is fairly small, fairly niche, if you would agree. Um, so it's not like every school has a coastal engineering program, you know, like every engineering school has a civil or a mechanical. Um, so as Amanda said, you know, potentially getting to the students and in high school and letting them know this is an opportunity because that could potentially gear them what schools they begin to look
2: at. And you know what? Having podcasts where you talk about it is pretty helpful too.
0: It's, it's good to hear. That's certainly one of the reasons I think that uh, you know the student and new professionals group in particular, ASVPA, started this is to try to help us um, overcome these, uh, I guess, public relations issues. So uh, very, very interesting. So uh, let's let's get a little bit, I guess, into maybe some of the. Uh, real subject matter of this professional development series and, and kind of, um, you know, that transition into, uh, industry for the, well, seems like there's been several transitions that both of you have undergone at different points in your, um, uh, your career. So I guess, um, let's start with the most recent one. So, um, you know, your current jobs, what are some of the, um, I guess, uh, learning moments or, um, Interesting aspects of transitioning from academia into uh, into industry. So, I guess we'll start with Amanda. Why don't, why don't you take the first stab at that question?
2: There's so many opportunities. There's so many interesting paths to take. It's just, I feel like on weekly on a weekly basis, I have to decide what to say no to, and that is something for 10 years of academia i didn't have to say no i was just given opportunities to do this research and as i was doing you know digging down this rabbit hole to learn more about biomass accumulation i'd stumble upon underground biomass oh here i go down that rabbit hole you know it was it was like you could chase every opportunity and just continue to expand your knowledge way deep in this one point, um, this one field. And now it's, it's just, there's so many opportunities, which is great and wonderful, um, but you have to, I guess it's FOMO, right? Like I, I'm just worried that I'm gonna miss out on that one big thing because I can't dig as deep as I could before. And that's been a struggle for me to figure out how to have effective, efficient time Um, And not just, you know, like be involved in everything, but focus my energies on the tasks and the the meetings and the projects that are going to help me reach my goal. Because when you have a four-year program set up where you take these classes as prerequisites to these classes, and you have time with your professor and your advisors figuring out what tasks will lead you to learn this area better... Your goals are are there and it's clear, but now I have to make my own goals and figure out what opportunities to take to get to them, and that's been it's exciting, but it's been difficult for me. Um, but I, I'm it's exciting, so do not fear it. Just be ready to be inundated with exciting opportunities.
1: And so, what about you, Laura?
3: Um, yeah, thank you for that. Uh question. So I'll take a little bit of a different take at it, I guess. Um, So I made a very different jump than I was anticipating um, going into essentially the insurance industry. And for me, that is something very new, very outside of my comfort zone. I knew nothing about it. Um, prior to starting here. And that was actually one of the questions when I was interviewing. like, how much do you expect me to know about insurance? Because I know zip. (laughs) And so there's been a lot of on the job, just learning and knowing that I will have to ask a lot of questions, whether it's just terminology, Um, as much as government agencies love acronyms, insurance industry is, loves them just as much. Um, so to be honest, the first few weeks were real kind of, uh, they, they were tough just because there was a lot of new information to learn. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it, but just the starting remotely, you know, there's a, there's not that you just pop your head over the cubicle and ask your quote unquote dumb question. Um, so that's just been the biggest thing for me is just the the learning curve and learning to speak up and ask questions. I think when you come out of grad school, right, you're you're an expert in what you know. You don't you don't know everything, but you know a lot about what you've researched um, and are considered the expert on that that piece at least. So then coming into a whole different world where you don't even know what you don't know. Um, there's a lot of just keeping your ears open and attending every single webinar, reading tons of articles just to just to play catch up. But then once you start kind of uh, learning that stuff and you could figure out the projects and you figure out the questions to ask, um, it's really rewarding.
1: That's great. Um I'm curious, would either of you say that you went into your academic programs with the assumption that you would stay in academia, or did you truly know for sure that you would be going into practice after you graduated?
3: I guess I can take that question first. Um, so I went in back to school. So I had worked in industry for a couple of years doing consulting work. And my whole goal of going back to school was to not go back into industry and do consulting work. It was great, a great opportunity, but not what I had wanted to do. So I anticipated trying to stay in academia, government research agency, um, but it was interesting because when I was applying for positions, um, like anyone, right, you're scouring uh, for any opportunity. And I came across this position I'm at, and I could have sworn it was the description of what they wanted was for someone in a university. I had to double check twice that it was for a someone in the insurance industry. Um, and that was the exact same thing. When I talked to my current boss, I, you know, I, I mentioned like you guys sure you don't work for a university because the the job posting made it sound like you do. Um, but you know, he was very clear. It was very much a, uh, research role with the idea to create products that can be used in industry. And I like that idea that we were already, you know, infiltrated with the industry. So things that we developed would go into practice and, uh, you know, really start helping people, helping clients. Um, so at the beginning, I thought I'd stay in, yeah, government, uh, academia, no way in the world uh, industry, but I, I found myself back here, and I'm really happy that I, um, as Amanda said, you keep, you keep saying yes, <laughs> so I'm glad I at least uh, gave it a shot, because i um, quite happy with, uh, with how it's turning out so far.
2: Yeah, and I I always thought I'd end up in industry. I never thought I would even get my masters. So that was never part of my plan. Um but I I love learning and every time I found an opportunity to continue learning, I took it. And kind of like Laura said, this Erdic, my work at Erdic is research but it's research for application so it's i guess i found a cheat code uh kind of an in-between where i i didn't have to pick one or the other and i I get to do both um yeah so i i never i never planned to do research or be a postdoc or i i I did consider being a professor for a little bit I, i taught environmental engineering during my PhD, and it was wonderful. Um, but when I saw this this opportunity to take this position and get to do research and application, I just I thought that seems perfect, no compromises.
0: Laura's being a little bit modest. I think uh, that, that kind of got screwed up. Sorry, uh, Laura's being a, a little bit modest. I think. Um, Remember back to when Laura was an undergrad working with me. I had always tried to convince her that you know getting her PhD and going the research route was the was the was the way for her. But I think uh, originally Laura was dead set on going into the consulting world. So um, ultimately, she came around and 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 ended up working on her PhD. And it's great that she found this sort of research position. So. I think one thing I wanted to to kind of follow up a little bit on something Laura mentioned, um, transitioning, uh, particularly in the environment that we're currently in where everything is remote. Um, So Laura, can you talk a little bit about some of those challenges? And I don't know if if you've had any similar challenges, Amanda, but I'd love to hear your opinion on those things.
3: Yeah. So when I started, um, I started back in July and we were fully remote. Um, The company had been remote since March, So even the the people I worked with hadn't seen each other in quite some time. Um, So, and we've continued to be mostly remote, um, starting to go into the office two days a week. So it's nice to see people in 3D um, because I, um, (laughs) you're just seeing a face on the screen. My entire interview process was actually remote um, as well. So um, I was convinced I was going to show up the first day and, you know, I'm kind of short. And they were going to be like, you know, who did we hire, this little this little girl? Um, so luckily, so my team is only three other people, which makes it very easy to keep in touch with one another. Um, one of the things that's really helped is we have weekly meetings on Mondays and Fridays to kind of start off the week and cap it off. Um, and the, the Friday meeting really being geared towards um, – asking the questions I have kind of accumulated during the week and that's helped both myself and I think the other, um, uh, new analyst, uh, kind of transition in. Um, yeah, so our, our team's really small, which allows us to do that. And we do certainly work with other people, but those are kind of a more, um, scheduled meeting basis project by project. Um, yeah. So with, with starting remotely, it's been just a little bit more, you have to be proactive on your part. So when there's a question, as I think i mentioned before, you can't just pop your head over you know, the cubicle wall and ask a simple question. It requires a little bit more, okay, we're going to set up a meeting. We're going to set up a call. Um, but our team's been really great about at least just t- keeping um, touch with one another. And that's really, I think helped with the, with the transition and now going back into the office at least two days a week, um, you get a little bit more of that. Um, you get to know the person not just the, you know, what they work on and what they do. So.
2: Yeah. And I, I was lucky to get in there a little bit before we went virtual. So I moved to Vicksburg, Mississippi in August. So I got to know the people in my hallway And I got to do the pop in with the dumb question thing where you run down the hall and you're like, how do I sign up for medical? Um, So I was fortunate to do that. But I, I, I was there, you do have to be more proactive. And we, we had a few new hires come around the time we went virtual and, those new hires were super proactive. They were reaching out to everybody. And I just had a, f- a few folks pinging me. So um, because I had just gone through that process where you need to run down the hallway asking how to you know, sign up for your benefits or take Army training or what does this acronym stand for, I was um, kind of feeling bad that they were all pinging me with these questions. And a few other uh, colleagues of mine were feeling bad who had just been hired right before quarantine. Uh, so we created a group called New Hires. Uh, it's just like an online community where we just make this, we pretend like it's the cafeteria. And anytime you want to pop in, uh, right now we're using Microsoft Teams. We were using Slack, whatever whatever platform. You just pop in, you ask your question, you can video chat. And uh, I think that, that team has really gone a long way. And it's been, I think I met people at, in other parts, other parts of my group, parts of Ertic that I never would have met if we didn't do that. So I'm really proud of Ertic for taking a negative, you know, not getting to see each other, having those proactive new hires and having people that care about them. Um, and, and we made it a positive. And now we have this like really cool team of new hires. And sometimes we bring in senior scientists to give talks and we have our HR person come and tell us how to sign up for medical which I obviously struggled with um and yeah we, we we made it a positive um but it is nice to be back in the office and have those side conversations with people I I do feel for people that didn't get to have that right away
0: so I, I think that's you know an interesting point um you know, just talking about the importance of you know developing those relationships um you know with your coworkers and colleagues i think that's you know having that support group is something um you know regardless of the of the position that you're in um is important for success and it's important you know for the your enjoyment in the position right so uh, i think that's great so um Along those lines, um, you know, not just within your your organizations, but um, you know, within other professional groups, um, you know, what what types of uh, young professional groups or organizations or um, are, are you are you, you both involved in and in, in, can talk a little bit about kind of uh, the role that that has played in your early career development?
3: I guess all through, if we think back you know, as you're going through school and industry, um, I guess a couple organizations I've been lucky to be a part of has included ASBPA as you're all well aware of, um, and ASCE, which were organizations that Stevens had student chapters to as well. Um, And being involved in those organizations It gives you access to a lot of resources, Um, whether that be each one has online resources, technical resources, but just getting to know other people in your industry. Um, So I loved, for example, attending the ASBPA conference because you got to see what other companies were doing, um, research other schools were doing. just gives you a little bit broader view of your um, field as a whole, I think. Um, and always a good learning opportunity. Um, even when I was at CH, I would attend some of the lectures that the MET section of um, Copri would do in the city and another good way to meet people um, in the coastal engineering field. Uh, so I guess those are a couple organizations that you know, I've been a part of. And even as I've transitioned into now, you know, the insurance industry, I've tried to keep a little bit of contact with those organizations and not lose the uh you know i'm am a coastal engineer at at heart um and the company and the group I'm a part of really value that idea that you know i I do uh keep in touch with the people in the coastal engineering field because we will collaborate with uh with universities um, I guess that's it um not yet a part of any organization, uh, more in my current field. Um, but there is opportunities to attend conferences once, you know, travel is, can be approved again. So looking forward to that and making some connections, uh, on this side as well.
2: Yeah. I would just echo Laura's ASBPA relationship. I feel like that group, has it's been so lovely. Every time you go to that conference, it's like you see friends that you haven't seen for a year. Everyone's humble and doing sharing information for the right reasons. Um, and there there's a young professionals group there that I've been a part of, or SNP. And uh, that's been a great group. Copri was uh, awesome. While I was in school, there were a lot of opportunities. I got through Copri to attend conferences as a volunteer, you know, at a reduced rate. So that was really cool. Uh, like I said, we created this new hires group at the Coastal Hydraulics Lab at Urtic. And that's been really nice. And I would just say I have I have a good friend group at Erdic that we have like a, a community that meets every every Friday after the work week, and we meet up and we t- we talk about our weeks, what what's going on in each of our branches, and one of my favorite games we play is we ask each other safe place questions where. You can you say safe place. You know we can ask a question. It's safe, and you ask whatever dumb question has been on your mind, and you probably should have known the answer to. And there's no judgment. And I, I think wherever you work, it's really good to just have that community because it is a community. And as a whole, your company will grow, and you will grow. And it's just nice to have those people that you're not competing with, and you can admit like Laura said earlier, you don't know what you you don't know, but somebody else knows. And if you have a good group of people that are comfortable pointing that out modestly, uh, that's invaluable. Um, yeah. I, I'd say those are my groups.
1: Wow. I really love that. I think that's amazing and uh, probably could be applied in so many other places. I wish I had something like that in my job. <laughs> um, So one question I really wanted to ask you guys is, uh, are you still happy with your choice to go into uh, practice? Um, And have you ever thought about going back to academia? Um, You know, I've heard of, of, of people going into practice and then deciding to go back to academia. And sometimes they end up getting positions like professors of, Practice. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious uh, if those are things that you've considered.
3: I guess to preface, um, as said, I,
1: I thought I would
3: stay in academia, but I'm quite surprised with how happy I am doing what I'm doing currently. Um, but I've always had this if I didn't get to stay in academia after graduating, I had this grand retirement plan that you work in industry, and then at some point when I'm old and retired, but probably still want to be doing something um, to then go back to academia with all these things that I've learned in industry um, and really create that, uh, not create that, but further that, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Connection between what you learn in school, and then how that can be applied to industry. Um, I think what I'm currently doing, maybe if I had gone to school for data science or something else, I would have known this thing existed. Um, but I kind of, like I fell into coastal engineering, I kind of fell into this role as well. Um, and is really something that you know I didn't think I'd get to do with an engineering degree. I thought engineers just built things. Um, So that might be a roundabout way of saying that I like to keep my ties with academia, um, but I can definitely see myself staying in industry um, because second time around, it's kind of surprised me. So I'm uh, happy to see where it goes.
2: Ditto. Yeah, same. That's That's my retirement dream as well. I am extremely happy in the role I'm in. Like I didn't know coastal engineering existed, I didn't know this position existed. Um, To work as the assistant program manager for the engineering with nature program, I get to see everybody's research and see what cool things are happening and what's the state of art and remote sensing and what's going on over here with blue carbon. Um, It's really fun. I get to learn new things every day, but if I really do. I did enjoy teaching. I, I really missed that. So maybe if there was some adjunct professorship or, or something in my future, I wouldn't, I would be very pleased with that.
1: That's great. And, you know, kind of goes along with this whole professional development idea for the coastal profession. Um, you know, that, that is a way to, um, pass on to future generations and trying to keep this this professional world going so that's really great yeah,
0: it's, it's really interesting to hear those uh those stories because I, I pretty much it hits home because i i shared exactly what uh, amanda and laura were just talking about that retirement dream of you know getting into academia and uh you know i think it's interesting you know in my case the 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 twisting career path that you didn't see coming uh, the curveball was when i finished with my phd i ended up at stevens and ended up in a research uh, research engineer position ultimately uh, a research professorship and kind of i guess jumped ahead to where i ultimately saw myself down the line and just kind of lucked into uh, the position that i'm in and i think you know, one thing that's, uh, you know, a constant is, is, I guess, the inconsistency or the, uh, you know, the unpredictability, uh, really, of the opportunities that it seems like life throws your way. And I think one thing that is consistent between some of what Amanda was discussing and what Laura was discussing, you know, is, you know, just being ready and, and aware to kind of, you know, accept those, you know, opportunities and to, embrace change and something different and you never know where it's going to going to take you. So I think that's really cool to kind of hear those stories sort of resonating from uh, both Amanda and Laura. Um, One thing I I did want to want to touch on is we've heard a lot about kind of how you ended up, where you ended up and, you know, how people may have helped get you there. Um, Is there ever a a point, I guess, along your, your career path or your journey that, Um, somebody or something threatened to kind of like throw you off track? Um, And if so, were you, you know, how were you able to overcome that and kind of continue to, I guess, find your passion and ultimately end up where you're at?
2: Well, for me, both my undergraduate degree and my doctorate, small, like there were small hiccups, misunderstandings and credits. You know how (laughs) it goes. Miscommunication between the university, and my schedule, um, and I, I'm i the kind of person that Googles what the parking lot looks like so you know how to park before you get to the place. So when these, these things hit me, I was of course devastated that my three-year plan that's scheduled down to the hour was messed up. Um, but both times, I have to admit, my, I think my opportunities opened up that I had to take one more semester during my undergrad, uh, because that semester I only had one class, and I was able to do more of those the 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 part time work that I was talking about. And then same with my graduate degree, I was I was so excited to be done. My dissertation was written, so when I found out my credits were off, I was like. This is the end of the world. I was about to have health care. Um, but e- even with that one, I, I just was able to teach at, at um, UNF. And that was an incredible, incredible experience. So, yeah, both, both of these times when I was just like, well, there goes my five-year plan, um, a, better, a better plan opened up. So yes, of course that, of course those things happen, and I'm so happy they did.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's been nothing major. I've you know similar. You know, anyone who's at a university understands the uh, the problems with paperwork that can arise. So I definitely hear you there. Nothing quite as uh, extravagant, but. Um, you know, you finally, yeah, you almost think you're done. And then you get the email of, you know, you are no longer a school, you're no, no, no longer a student at this school. Um, so, um, but I guess just more in general, um, you know, there's been projects along the line, whether it was working as consulting, uh, engineer, you know, even in grad school that, you know, they're tough. Um, And particularly if they're not something you enjoy doing, um, it can kind of make you doubt yourself on whether you will finish, whether you're in the right field, Um, but there's always those little pieces you can find that you enjoy. So, you know, if there's a particular project, then this one massive task you hate doing, you know, you you get through it. You you find support. Um, there's always going to be a piece that you can find interesting, and I think that's gotten me through a lot of projects that I've kind of dragged my feet through. Um, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but uh, John's probably laughing because he knows exactly what project I'm talking about. Um, but you know, th- yeah, there's always things that'll make you doubt your abilities or doubt your interests. Um, but then once you get back to the core of what, um, you enjoy doing and you find those little aspects, I think that that gets you through the, some of the tougher times.
0: Yeah. That, that, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so one thing that, um, we did want to make sure that we had a chance to hit on before we, uh, before we wrap up, um, I wanted to ask you you both kind of um, for any advice that you would give, particularly students who are nearing the end of their um, academic careers, so whether it be undergrad or, or grad school, um, that are thinking about or, or approaching sort of the transition um, into practice. You know, what are some of the, the pieces of advice um, that you would have in terms of, you know, hopefully finding that, that opportunity, that, you know, the job that, you know, makes you happy, um, and hopefully transitioning into a beginning of a successful career.
3: Yeah. So I guess, um, you know, for people coming in on graduation and,
0: uh,
3: entering the workforce first, congratulations, um, that's a really big, you know, accomplishment, uh, with whatever degree you have, um, and a really exciting time because you get to, you get to do something new, um, for after being in school for however long. Um, so I guess keeping in mind the number of jumps I've done, you know, I didn't graduate and stay at the same place forever. Um, so first off is to be open and try things. Ideally you'll find that perfect job for the first time around. And hopefully you can do so by keeping in mind, what you've really enjoyed doing um, and what maybe you haven't liked doing so much. Um, and if you had internships, I think that really helps with that. But if you haven't, sometimes it's hard to figure out what exactly a job's going to entail before you start doing it. Um, so I always say give every place a chance, um, but know you're not necessarily stuck there. Um, it might take a few tries to find that perfect job. Um, even though you might not want to hear that. Um, one thing I will say, probably the best advice I've ever been given, I have no idea who told me this, but it's stuck with me for a very long time, is that if you're in a position where you look at the people more senior than you, and you can't picture being in their position, then you're not necessarily in the right spot. Maybe it's not the right company. Maybe it's not the right part of that company. You know, if you're looking at the senior engineers and you want to be more in management and you're looking at those people over there, you can, you know, find a way to slide yourself over. Um, So I guess that's more advice for once you get into the position. Um, But I at least wanted to say that because honestly, that's probably the best advice that I've
2: ever been given. Work related. I should caveat. <laughs> yeah, that is really good advice. <laughs> I was thinking, wow, oh, can I do that? Can I think this? Um, yeah, I will. Every, of course, this whole this whole recording is just us saying we were figuring it out along the way, and we were ready to take different leaps of faith. And yeah, if you are. If you are accepting a position and it's not what you thought it would be, you should, of course, try to make it what you want it to be. Put that effort in, but do not be afraid to change your mind. Just because you changed your mind does not mean you've changed your principles. You can get excited about a new field altogether. Even if you've gotten your PhD in coastal engineering, you can go into you know mechanical engineering there i think we've seen that happen so many times so many great stories of people just finding a new career path late in the game and really flourishing so don't be afraid to change your mind because like anything else we're collecting data and as you learn as you increase your amount of data you realize that your projection is no longer linear. It's polynomial, you know? So um, keep collecting data and don't be afraid to contradict yourself because you are different than you were five years ago and you're different than you were 10 years ago. So um, just be honest with yourself and the best way to succeed is to help others succeed and you'll be surprised how much you you flourish when you help the people around you flourish too
0: that was that was some excellent advice I think um it's kind of funny in the lead up to this this show when we're interacting with Amanda we had this conversation about past Amanda and present Amanda and the advice that past Amanda would give present Amanda and I think some of that advice just came came out in that last answer to the the question about um advice for students entering, uh, the professional life. Um, I I think we're, we're going to wrap up. And, you know, I think one of the, the, the takeaways that I, I came away with, um, from our conversation with, uh, Amanda and Laura, um, you know, is being, being open to, you know, challenges as they present themselves and opportunities. Um, but also recognizing that particularly at the start of a career, um, your professional path that, um, where you start is not going to be where you end up if be, be prepared to you know take some some turns some twists um, and uh, again be open to to sort of what life throws at you um, Trust i guess the fact that your academic background has prepared you uh, for you know whatever challenges may, may come your way so I think for me that's you know i guess one of the bigger pieces of advice that I'm kind of extracting or drawing out of uh, some of what uh, Amanda and Laura shared. I don't know, Heather, do you do you have any kind of major takeaways that uh, lasting impressions?
1: Um, I mean, so mine are, are pretty much yours, John. I, I think that uh, you you described that uh, you were spot on. Um, I found both Amanda and Laura's advice um, extremely real. And I love that um, as both of them were talking, I was sitting here just going, amen. Um, so it, that was really great advice. And, and I really love the, those candid answers.
0: I, I wanna thank, uh, thank our guests today, Amanda and Laura, uh, for sitting down and joining us for this, this chat about the transition into practice. Um, I think there was a lot of valuable lessons that we can all take away um, for that sometimes scary leap into the real world. Um, but hopefully some of what uh, Amanda and, and Laura shared kind of takes away some of that uh, trepidation um, that you may have towards making that, uh, making that next step. Um, it's a big world out there and there's a lot of really cool and interesting things to do, particularly in the coastal environment, coastal engineering, coastal planning. Um, So we want to encourage as many students as possible uh, to get into our field to to kind of take advantage of those opportunities. So I want to thank all of our listeners um, for tuning in this month. Uh, As always on the Going Coastal podcast, uh, I want to invite anybody that has um, any of our listeners that have ideas on uh, specific topics that you might like to hear more about uh, in our upcoming professional development series uh, podcasts. Uh, please reach out to us um, you can get in touch with us several different ways uh, you can send us an email at asbpa.snp at with the subject line snp podcast where you're welcome to contact either heather or myself that are our social media feeds uh, which are included in the episode description uh, that accompanies this podcast um, but for me it's real simple it's just njbeachprof is my social media so it's instagram and twitter feel free to reach out, um, any show ideas. Um, and Heather, do you want to share yours?
1: Sure. Yeah. You can reach out to me. Um, and my, uh, uh, I guess username is coastal planner.
0: All right. Well, thank you once again to, uh, Amanda and Laura and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next month on the next episode of going coastal. Thank you.